0: This is the Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff Schulman, and you are listening to the first of a 13-episode journey through an in-depth look into what Seattle's economic and population growth means to the city's residents, businesses, and city leaders. Though this podcast takes place in Seattle, there are lessons to be learned for any city seeking or grappling with growth. Today's focus is the tech scene, which is a major driver of Seattle's growth. In particular, this episode will give you a better understanding of why Seattle's tech scene is thriving. You'll hear what challenges Seattle's growth brings to business leaders in this tech sector and what they believe needs to be done to help the tech scene continue to thrive. First, you'll hear from Christopher, a founding partner at the Founders Co-op, a local venture capital firm. He will give his perspective as an investor, as well as a startup mentor and chair of Seattle's Economic Development Commission. Then you'll hear from Sunil Gouda, the founder of Garmentary, a startup funded by my first guest's venture capital firm, Founders Co-op. He will share his views on what it is like to launch a startup in Seattle. Finally, the episode will conclude with an interview with Vinayak Hegde, Chief Marketing Officer of Groupon. His Chicago-based company opened a Seattle office in 2012, and the headcount has grown to over 300 employees in the Seattle area. His perspective will shed light on why companies from around the country are opening and expanding Seattle offices. To get a sense of the growth that today's guests are driving and experiencing, I turn to Seattle City Council member Rob Johnson.
1: Uh, really ran for City Council because I believe at the city we're at this incredible inflection point. We talk a lot about growth in the city, but um, those, that growth isn't just anecdotal, it's really borne out by the numbers. Generally, Seattle's grown by about 10% each of the last three decades. We've grown by 10% in the first five years of this decade alone. The general Puget Sound region, which is comprised of King, and Snohomish counties, has added 255,000 new people over the last five years. So we have grown by about the size of the city of Tacoma in the, the greater Puget Sound uh, in five years alone. That equated last year to an average of n- nine new jobs per hour and seven new people per hour that we were creating in two- 2015. So, The the region, and the city of Seattle in particular, is is seeing really unprecedented growth, unlike what we've seen probably since the gold rush.
0: I asked Parker Ferguson, the founder of one of Seattle's premier commercial real estate service firms, Flynn Ferguson, how
1: the recent growth compares to other boom times. It certainly seems to be magnified. We used to have boom times, and a company uh, would come in, and they might hire 20 people or 40 people or 50 people. And now Facebook rolls into town and they're hiring 3000 people and, um, Tableau expands and they're hiring thousands of people and Amazon thousands and thousands of people. So there's certainly the, the scale is much larger and, uh, the velocity is things are just happening a lot faster. Um, certainly you look around and there are cranes everywhere.
0: To better understand this boom, I sat down for an extended interview with Chris DeVore. I'm here at Startup Hall with a key figure in the tech scene here in Seattle, Chris DeVore. Chris is a man of many hats, a partner at uh, a uh, Seattle venture capital firm, Founders Co-op, Managing Director at Techstars, and the Chair of the Economic Development Commission uh, of Seattle, and this is just among uh, many hats that, that he wears. Uh, Chris, thank you for talking to me today. Uh, thanks.
2: Thanks for coming. It's a, it's a great conversation. Yeah. So I'd like to just get started uh, hearing a little bit about Founders Co-op. Sure. And again, I'll try not to, not to go too deep into the details, but um, long story short, I'm from Seattle, but spent a lot of my early career in the Bay Area. Uh, I came back here in the early 2000s and started a business with another friend of mine who had been an entrepreneur in Boston. And I think our observation was Seattle was a great market for talent, lots of really bright engineers, but a a tough market to be an entrepreneur, and there just wasn't a lot of institutional support at the earliest stages for entrepreneurs. And so um, based on that experience, having founded a company here and raised venture capital here, when we were looking to start our next business, and this is in the 2007-2008 window, we thought, what could we do that could make be a good business, but also make life better for entrepreneurs in Seattle? So Founders Co-op was our was our effort to do that. So it's a it's a venture fund, but at the earliest stages, when most people don't pay attention to you, most big venture capital firms won't return your calls. We wanted there to be a firm dedicated to finding great founders in Seattle and helping them build great companies.
0: And so, why did you want to build that in Seattle? Were there any reasons beyond just having roots here
2: I know I think it was you know my wife and I had met in the Bay Area and you know lived there for a bunch of years and I think when we thought about where do we want to live for the long term you know my parents were here um, where do we want to raise kids we felt like this was a great city for both our professional lives and our personal lives and I think my partner Andy who we started the, the firm with he his wife is from here as well and they had come up for family reasons as well so it was really a, just a commitment to, to place first and then a, and then a question of what can we do in that place that's going to produce you know, fun and, and hopefully, you know, uh, gainful employment for us, but also to do some good in the, world, in, in the city we've chosen to live in.
0: And can you share some stories or give a little more color to the good that Founders Call has been able to do?
2: I mean, I, I, it's, I would feel more comfortable having the entrepreneurs who we've worked with use, you know, it's their stories that matter, not our story. But really quickly, I think we have been a part of the founding of more than 50 companies in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Those companies have now raised in aggregate hundreds of millions of dollars. They employ over a thousand people. Uh, So just in terms of raw numbers, the the ability to help passionate founders start things that go on to have a big impact on on the the business life and the employment life of the region feels pretty good. And so
0: you've been a part of making Seattle a better place uh, to start companies and, and grow
2: jobs and create jobs. How would you compare Seattle's climate now to when you started? You know, I think it's dramatically better. I don't think that's necessarily thanks to us. I think overall Seattle has has really found its legs as an innovation ecosystem. Historically, it's been very sort of a company town. So first it was Boeing, and then it was Microsoft, and now arguably it's Amazon. But, because of the, the quality of the engineering talent here fundamentally, we now have many more large-scale employers who come here for that talent. Not all of them are based here, but in addition to Amazon's incredible growth, Microsoft's continued strength, we now have big presences from Google, Facebook, Apple, Alibaba, Baidu. You know, some of the best names in tech now have very scaled engineering offices here to participate in the quality of the, of the leadership. We've also had some more recent uh, public successes. Concur was, was a big company that grew here and was taken public, acquired uh, last year by SAP. Tableau, uh, another strong uh, software company that was built here in the last seven years or so. So we're getting a, more, a richer and more diversified ecosystem of employers. We're not just so dependent on one great company as we used to be. Tell me a little bit about Techstars. Great. So um, Techstars is, is another, I think, a complementary part of that story. A little bit of the backstory on that one. The, the, the company that my partner and I started back in the 2000s, one of our investors and board members is a guy named Brad Feld. Brad was a career venture capitalist who had lived in the Bay Area with SoftBank, but then moved to Boulder, Colorado to start his own firm called Foundry Group. I think in Colorado, Brad observed, uh, along with others, that great city to live in, but it didn't have a really vibrant native entrepreneurial ecosystem. An entrepreneur named David Cohen came to Brad and said, hey, Brad, I want to do something called Techstars that's going to be about bringing together the community of Boulder in support of entrepreneurs. Brad became a seed funder of that. So we be, and this was in 2006, 2007. So we became aware of that really early on. We saw this, this thing, great people, people that we loved and respected doing something exciting for entrepreneurs in Boulder. And we basically said, hey, we'd love to do that here in Seattle. Ultimately, they were, in the early years, they said, hey, we're just, we're just still figuring this thing out. We don't know what it's gonna look like. But in 2009, they added Boston as, as, its, as the first expansion city and agreed to, to let us run the program here in Seattle. So starting in 2010, my partner Andy took on running Techstars. I stayed focused on the fund, but we did it together as a partnership. Techstars is an investing platform, but, but at a very small scale. It's much less about money than it is about community. So the way it works is companies apply to, to be admitted. Techstars chooses a small number, usually about 10 companies to be in a program. Techstars invests a small amount of money in those companies and becomes a, a shareholder. But more importantly, those companies come to a physical place, an office. Right now it's in Startup Hall in the UW campus. And for 12 weeks, we surround them with resources, whether it's you know, mentorship from entrepreneurs, from executives, from investors, exposure to media. We do everything we can to both validate that what they're doing has merit as, as an entrepreneurial project and then, and then put sort of wind, wind in their sails to increase their chances of success later on. One of the nice things about Techstars, too, is it's not just you know, a small number of cities. It's become a global network. Are the companies that you're bringing in mainly people who live in Seattle already? As Techstars has grown globally, I think the profile has changed somewhat. In the early years, when we were there were just four Techstars programs when we started here, we would have applicants, and we took applicants from Israel and Canada and Europe, now that there are programs for Techstars in other geographies, I think our draw zone has been more concentrated to North America and Pacific Rim. So it's more often U.S., Canada, and to some extent, Asia and Southeast Asia that, that think of Seattle as a place where they would want to build a business.
0: And then once they're here for this accelerator, do you have any back in the napkins calculations as to how many decide to stay and grow their
2: companies in Seattle? You know, I'm, I'm pretty, and, and I'll give you a little little color. So my partner, Andy, ran it for the first five years and had to take a step back for personal reasons. So I've been running Techstars and the fund for the last couple of years. And in the couple of years that I've, I've been running it, I'm very explicit when I'm talking to companies saying, look, you should build a company where it's right for you but you should choose to come to Techstars in Seattle because you believe that Seattle is the best, one of the best possible places to build your business. So I'll give you one example. We have a company in our current class that came to us from Toronto, and, the, and they're building a, a network of low earth orbiting satellites to provide data communications for what, what, what's likely to be an explosion of small, small satellite launches. They're great scientists, they had great academic and investor resources in Toronto, but when they looked at Seattle and they saw the history of aerospace here with Boeing, uh, the research work at the University of Washington, and then some modern new space companies that were coming up like Blue Origin, Planetary Resources, and and others, they felt like Seattle was becoming a a center of the modern space economy. And they were like, "We, we really should be in Seattle to build the business. Now, whether they stay here for the long term or go back to Toronto remains to be seen but the magnetic pull not just of tech stars, but of tech stars in our community in Seattle was what made them choose to relocate at least for the duration of program.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your role uh, on the Economic
2: Development Commission? Sure, and I think that, that's been a, a really interesting um, evolution uh, and it goes all the way back before the commission was even created. There was a, a sort of a grassroots uh, conversation amongst the innovation community in Seattle trying to educate city government about the role of entrepreneurship, not just tech entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship in in building the city that we all want to live in and i think seattle's had this sort of lucky history of great entrepreneurs choosing seattle as a place to build their companies those become scaled companies it's the nordstrom's and the costcos and the REIs, you know but every one of those began as an entrepreneurial journey so In government and economic development, they tend to think in terms of defending existing industries. So it's like, we need to take care of our retailer or our fisheries or whatever it happens to be. But I think you forget that existing industries come to being through entrepreneurial effort, not because we magically were born with with a fisheries industry or retail one, but entrepreneurs created that. So the idea that we need as a community to support not sectors, but just the idea of being an entrepreneur. Long story short, that wound up creating a a staffed position in the Office of Economic Development for the city, which a woman named Rebecca Lovell now holds and has done a, a fantastic job as liaison to entrepreneurs in the city of Seattle. Because of that work, a group of us were invited to con- sort of consult to the city on a longer-term basis about what kind of city do we want to build. What is the role of every sector in, in creating a, a vibrant, diverse, socially inclusive city? And I was I was asked to be a part of that commission along with Mike Young, who was then president of the University of Washington, um, business leaders from you know education, from healthcare, from entrepreneurship, from small business, from minority-owned business. So it was a very diverse group of folks, and it was this I- it was this idea of We don't want Seattle to be a place that's dominated by industry or by any one company or even by business as opposed to the arts and culture we we want to have a conversation about what is the kind of city we all want to live in what makes cities great and how do we across sectoral lines across economic lines across you know ge- geographic race gender etc how do we how do we collaborate and communicate to develop a shared vision of the city we want to live in and then work together to enact that future
0: before we get into your perspective on that future it's good to really understand how we got to where we are, and so you've you've founded a company here. You've helped other companies get investments. You're now on this uh, commission that's looking towards the future, and so you're very you're the perfect person to ask why Seattle, why is it thriving so much right now? You know, uh,
2: there's I, I don't think I can say anything definitive about that part of the reason why is because of some of the great entrepreneurial businesses that have been built here. So cities, you know, everyone complains about growth and it's like, geez, it's, it's, it's too bad that rents are rising or traffic has gotten worse. But as someone who grew up here and lived here during the downturn with Boeing in the 70s, when the billboard of, well, the last person out of Seattle, please turn out the lights, the, the opposite of growth is, is decline. And we don't want to be Detroit, right? So, so growth, you have to be thoughtful about managing it. But growth is something that we all want. And we've, and we've had growth in Seattle largely because of Bill Gates and Paul Allen and Jeff Bezos and great entrepreneurs choosing to build companies here that were magnetic to talent. So instead, we weren't just providing jobs for locals. We were drawing leadership and talent in from around the world that said Seattle's an exciting place to be. I think that idea of a city as a, as a beacon of optimism and hope for not just for its own residents, but for people around the world is a necessary condition for a city to be vibrant and growing. And we just had great good luck. In, in our entrepreneurials, you know, success stories. Coupling that with that, you know Seattle is on the west coast of the US as Asia has been ascendant. So there's a lot of excitement about the, the economic energy of first Japan and now China and Southeast Asia. And we are a natural point of focus, as is the entire West Coast, for that, the sort of the energy of the rise of, of the Asian tigers and the Asian economies. It's harder for the East Coast of America, which was, which was economically dominant when Europe was the, was the powerhouse economically of the world. As the center of gravity shifts to Asia, in North America the center of gravity shifts to the West as well. And then, frankly, Seattle's just a beautiful city. You know, we we, we are a, a dense, walkable city uh, with thoughtful civic leadership that's surrounded by water and mountains and greenery. So it's just a fantastic place to live. So great, great luck in, in you know, uh, entrepreneurial success, great luck in geography, and some thoughtful leadership that's trying to make sure we make the most of our assets to compete with other exciting cities in, in a global economy that's increasingly fluid and interconnected.
0: What opportunities does this exciting time
2: present, and, and how do we take advantage of those opportunities? Right, so I mean, one of the nice things about, again, having growth and vibrancy in the economy is it creates economic surplus, so the big question is in, in good times, in boom times, what do you do with that surplus? And I think you're, you're wa- watching the citizens of Seattle choose to reinvest their surplus in really great things, whether it's early childhood education or sound transit expansion. We, we are choosing not just to take our money and run, as has happened in, I think, some geographies, but to redeploy the community surplus in services that will benefit all of us for generations to come. And one of the things just to take a side trip here that I find most exciting about living in Seattle is it, it does have a big tent view of society and culture and, and economics, which is it's not, you know, the rich get what they get and live, live behind walled gardens. It's not a sort of Ayn Rand libertarian economic mindset. I think in Cascadia broadly, Vancouver to Portland, including Seattle, has a a very deeply felt idea that prosperity should be shared by all. And it's super exciting to me to see both leadership and taxpayers and voters imposing burdens on themselves in order to make our city and our region a, a better place for everyone
0: there's opportunity and excellent uh, surplus to be shared there's also some challenges uh, can you talk a little bit
2: about the challenges you've seen sure and i think that's that's the downside of all this stuff is as as you experience growth there's both real gaps in terms of opportunity and the, and there's the the bad feeling that happens when there's a group of people that clearly are, are you know winning or advancing in the economy and others that are struggling i think seattle had a long has had a long and proud heritage of um, blue-collar work, whether it's on the waterfront or machinists in an industry, and as those jobs have shrunk and opportunities for folks with less education have have gone down, and sort of the the knowledge work of software and, and and medicine and those kinds of things has has been ascendant, there's been a greater risk of I think social discord and real and just and lack of lack of empathy between the between groups that have more education and folks that have traditionally had good jobs with less education and trying to build a society and a culture and economic opportunities that, for one, give everyone the chance to achieve the education needed to thrive in the economy, but also are thoughtful about the fact that not everyone is going to to want that or be able to do that, and to continue to provide training and job opportunities for folks at every level of the economic spectrum is one, one big risk. Housing is another one, right? If you can't live in a city, if you feel like the city's too expensive to survive, you don't feel like a citizen, you don't feel included anymore. So how do we grow the city in a way that provides space for everyone, affordable space for everyone? And I think there's both market and non-market levers for that. On the market side, Seattle's been pretty good about allowing housing stock to grow. There's a lot of what I would call nimbyism or sort of anti-growth mentality. And the thing that always confuses me about that is if you limit growth, you're gonna drive prices up. And a lot of people who say, hey, we wanna stop growth, what they're really doing is just increasing the economic tension or increasing the unfairness of the city. If we figure out how to grow in ways that are smart and and make the city a better place to live we reduce some of the of the supply demand price pressure that's driving rents up across the board but again at the bottom of the spectrum you still need to figure out how do you provide affordable housing and i think that's going to include some kind of government engagement and subsidized housing i think the HALA bargain that that the the mayor struck with real estate developers to say we're going to essentially put overrides on your development costs that go directly to, to build low income housing is a smart business-friendly government intervention to make sure that, that we aren't just building market-rate housing, but we're actually providing government-subsidized housing for low-income folks. So, again, none of this is perfect. The tensions will continue to to, to exist. But the growth as the engine of, of prosperity for, for everyone and not just for a few is a really important risk and opportunity for us as a region.
0: And then, so as we talk about the market forces and kind of encouraging growth like we see in the HALA the bargain, um, what do you think needs to happen in tandem with allowing this growth or encouraging this kind of growth?
2: So, so I mean, the the of would be one example. Um, I think people uh, using using government levers as we have around transit, education, et cetera, to make sure that we are redistributing. Frankly, the the, the surplus that's being generated for the benefit of, of all citizens is really important. So there's just there, there's sort of financial and legal uh, and regulatory mechanics. Then I think there's another issue of a social conversation, which is, do we have a, a politics and a, and a process that, is in, that makes everyone feel included and like they have a voice? I think part of, part of the tension in growth is real economic discomfort, and part of it is feeling like the world is getting away from me. And I think we, we need to continue to figure out, and again, I, I think Seattle does a better than average job of not having an us versus them conversation. Uh, the the uh, Economic Development Commission would be an example of that, trying to to bring people together in constructive ways so that everyone feels heard and everyone feels like their their voice matters and their and they had a chance to participate in it in a decision about what kind of city we're building and how that impacts everyone in Seattle
0: and you talked about this blue-collar workforce that is finding their opportunities dwindling a little bit relative proportionally relative to tech and and um, some white-collar jobs right. can you give some more specifics as to how we keep This a city that they could live in and thrive in,
2: right? I mean, there are this. That's a really tough problem. I'll talk about two different vectors. One is, and I'll actually point out in particular, there's a a tech entrepreneur named Hadi Partovi who's created a a national nonprofit called Code.org which is for those that that want access to the the software or the innovation economy, making sure that that every child in school is exposed to not just STEM skills but computer science skills so that if, if if that's a passion of theirs, they can discover it early and follow that path into that kind of knowledge work. And I think Washington State has done a bunch of smart things about making computer science a math credit in high school and in generally funding more computer science education at the K-12 level so that, so that every student at every income level can be exposed to that kind of work. On the other side, there's some really interesting work that's being done both by the marine and fisheries industry and by the aerospace industry. Boeing helped fund what's called the Aviation High School, which is a Seattle public high school because they have a real problem with just getting skilled machinists to work in the factories. So making sure that there's an education and training pipeline explicitly for what used to be, you know, for, for blue collar work, for, for work that's not in the software industry, but is, is skilled and technical and for which we need a training pipeline that begins earlier in life. And then similarly, there, I know that there are educational opportunities for folks who work in shipbuilding and fisheries. There, those are technical skills as well. And there's a pipeline problem. Young kids are not choosing that kind of work. So there's actually a, a labor imbalance. There's, there's a, an undersupply of skilled labor in blue collar work just as there is in, in, in white collar or, or knowledge work in, in, the, in the region.
0: If you could speak to somebody who you uh, said might have a NIMBY attitude of the, uh, towards growth and sit them down and directly share your perspective as
2: to why that person should maybe rethink their, their attitude, what would you say? You know, I, again, I, I'm, we all come from such different perspectives that it's hard for me to, to uh, I, first you need to understand why they feel the way that they feel. The things that I find frustrating or confusing, and, and I'll th- take the U District, which is sort of a recent flashpoint as an example. Um, the U District has has been one of the sort of slated "quote unquote" urban villages, meaning a zone, an area zoned for for more development, to concentrate development. A lot of that became out of the fact that folks who live in the traditional fam- single-family residential neighborhoods wanted to quarantine that growth into a certain geography. So this has been a longstanding bargain that was struck between this, the. Sort of single traditional single-family homeowner neighborhoods to say, look, we'll we'll allow growth, but only in certain areas. And now I think now that the sort of the reality of what that growth is going to look like, are, are people saying, hey, wait, I don't I don't want that to happen. This is a little bit of sort of re- replaying the tape and be like, well, we we struck a deal to to accommodate traditional neighborhoods, and now you're now you're sort of holding back on growth in the first place. But the second one, and this is the more confusing part to me, is. If you look at what makes cities more exciting and livable and desirable for any income level it's things like density and walkability and mixed services so that there's retail and and services on the ground floor and then residential and office above it's great public transit it's walkable cities cities that are safe for streets and bikers and other things density brings all of those things so if you take a neighborhood like the district and say we're going to make this the most exciting urban neighborhood in seattle accessible through public transit you know as the light rail comes into the city very thoughtful zoning that that that's inclusive of lots of different kinds of rent levels and usage levels and, and a vibrant street life that's exciting for everyone I guess I'm, I'm, I scratch my head about who wouldn't want that to happen. So it's very hard for me to put myself in a place of saying stop, stop the growth because it brings environmental benefits, it, bring, it brings economic benefits, it brings quality of life benefits. Like I just, it, it's, it's, and again, this, this is my limitation, not theirs. It's baffling to me why someone would wanna say, don't do that because all this, all that, we're gonna squeeze the balloon of a, of a growing city and it's gonna leak out somewhere else. So let's be intentional about where the growth comes and let's make it inclusive and thoughtful and well-designed just saying, please stop, all it's going to get you is really nasty unintended consequences. And it's not going to, like the growth isn't going to stop. You're just going to have it leak in ways that are really unproductive for everyone. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, this was great. Good. My pleasure.
0: Hopefully it's interesting to, to your folks and thanks for asking. My next guest, Sunil Gowda, is the founder of Garmentary, a startup that was funded by Chris Devore's Founders Co-op. I'm here at Startup Hall with Sunil Gowda. He is the founder of Garmentary. Uh, Sunil, thank you
3: for your time. Right, thanks, Jeff. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, your company? So Garmentory is an online marketplace of independent boutiques, uh, clothing boutiques that you would find in like some of the coolest fashion destinations. Uh, typically, uh, they have a really uh, uh, loyal fan base, but their online presence is lacking and we provide that channel. And tell me a little bit about the history. Um, so my history, uh, I have a technical background, started at Expedia, then I was the first engineer at Zillow, and then at Microsoft, uh, I, I did my stint, in, uh, which everyone ha- in Seattle has to. Prior to governmentry, I was doing consulting work, uh, building mobile applications for big e-commerce players like Patagonia and other folks. Uh, one of the applications I built was for this independent designer based out of Vancouver, um, Adele, my current co-founder, she was uh, uh, the operations manager for that independent designer label um, and as a thank you gift for building the mobile application, she sent my wife a beautiful dress. Uh, anytime after that, uh, we went on a s- like special dinner or a event, my wife would always wear that uh, even though she owned more expensive much from much higher luxury uh, labels, much more expensive luxury labels, she kept wearing that dress and that kind of like picked my interest like she f- Finds this dress more special than that, like, I, I, and I just probed why. My wife like described it, I think like what defines the space we are in, uh, beautiful uh, made clothes with a story behind them. And then when she tried to shop for that same label in Seattle, she she couldn't find it anywhere else. And that I mean like being the entrepreneur that I am, uh, that like really stoked my interest. Oh, there's there's this huge opportunity here. And on the other hand, like, you, you're also helping these artists find a uh, help them compete with the bigger uh, budget retailers online. So, two years fast forward, two years, I reached out to Adele and said, "Hey, I have this idea of building a marketplace for independent labels. Do you think it has traction?" Adele, who has ten like over ten years experience in the independent fashion world, she I mean she 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 was really she got really excited, uh, saying, "Oh yeah, this is a real problem for the." boutiques. She reached out to her network of over 50 boutiques just to uh, validate the idea. And once based on the really excited, like positive feedback we received, like said, yeah, let's do this. And uh, in 2012, uh, we started like like noodling on, okay, how do we bring this to life? Uh, we started working like I just, initially it was just part time for both of us, uh, nights and weekends while we still kept doing our, our regular day jobs. And in 2014, we raised a small seed round and went full-time.
0: What do you envision
3: for Garmentary in terms of headquartering in the future? We are headquartered in Seattle. Uh, we, we love Seattle. Uh, it's, it's a great place to be an entrepreneur. Like Lots and lots of talented engineers. And um, just, just the ecosystem of like, investors, mentors, other startups... I think it's it's a perfect balance. It's not overhyped like in some of the other uh, regions in the country and then just just the beautiful nature um surrounding us. That's it, I feel like it's it's just this perfect combination of everything that everyone in our team enjoys. So we'll, yeah, Seattle is a, is a great place to build a business.
0: And can you give a little bit more detail as to some other things that resources that you've personally been able to take advantage of uh for Garmentary?
3: One um we got picked for the techstars uh, accelerator program in 2014 which uh, seattle is one of the few cities that actually has has one of those top branded programs War, who also uh, who is associated with techstars manages uh, the founders co op which is a early stage seed fund decided to invest in us so they are the probably one uh, the premier seed fund in seattle uh, which was instrumental in helping us like go full time and invest more heavily in this company.
0: Okay, yeah. so you've been able to raise money here in Seattle, uh-huh. and have you hired people here in Seattle?
3: Yep, all of our hires are from Seattle. Um, most of the, some of them people we have worked with, uh, some of them, some of our mentors rec- uh, recommended the other hires. So yeah, we're tapping into really tapping into our like our Seattle network here, of both investors, mentors, and yeah, other star- companies.
0: Do you see any challenges to running a startup here in Seattle?
3: No, not really. Yeah, I think I have it good. Yeah, you have it good. Yeah, Uh, so you would just stay the course. I'd stay the course. Like it's always there's so much more to be done. Um, The one, uh, I I don't know how the city would help. Um, We need to hire a lot more engineers. Okay. So, like, like finding that network. Uh, finding more input, like like good qualified engineers that that's our biggest need right now, um, to grow much much faster. And do you have challenges finding the engineers here in Seattle? Uh, it's not challenging. It's just that we want to hire the people f- that fit our fit our company culture. Um, and our early hires, uh, I want to really be sure we 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 don't make any mistakes yeah. in, our, in our early hires. So I'm just being a, a lot more careful because the first few hires dictate the rest. the yep. company culture going forward for like many many years. So that's what's slowing us down because we are a little. We, are like, we want to be. We're probably being too careful here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you move to Seattle? Uh, I moved to Seattle in early 2000. Um, I grew up in India. Came here for my masters. We got hired by Expedia. Okay, uh, right in the middle of the the first tech bubble, uh, or rather the end of the bubble, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I was and really lucky to end up at Expedia, and I was placed to the right group that kind of like got me passionate about building consumer brands. Yeah. And where did you live when you first moved here? First lived in Redmond, and now I'm currently in Bellevue. And why didn't you want to start garmentry? in the east side? Okay, so b- being, being part of a startup requires close collaboration with other startups. So it's nicer to be uh, where all the other startups are. The problems we face are similar, the challenges, like like it, it's always, uh, a startup is just usually five to six people. Um, but then b- working closely with other startups, you can actually use them as a sounding board for ideas, any technical challenges, you can collaborate with them to solve them. So it gives you the benefits of being in a big company working with other startups and Seattle is the current like epicenter of the Pacific Northwest for our startups. So that's why we are on the Seattle side. Yeah. And
0: so why did, why don't you choose to live in Seattle as well?
3: A um, couple of reasons. My wife works at Microsoft and she hates commuting. I like driving. We have a couple of dogs that, so we want to give them a big backyard and yeah, Eastside is where, it, where it's affordable to have a house with a big backyard. Okay, yeah. so ev- uh, how long have you lived in this house? What uh, five years now? Five years. Yeah.
0: Okay, so even before this big boom, you felt that to get the space you wanted, you you needed to move to the to the east side.
3: And and the zoning zoning loss also probably uh, meant like smaller like backyards and lots in Seattle proper. Yeah.
0: And and so to get a backyard with room for your dogs... uh, (laughs) was one of the (laughs) biggest influencers for us living on the east side. And it it couldn't be done in Seattle? It couldn't be done in Seattle. Okay. And now if you were in charge of Seattle and you could make it uh, the way you wanted for the next 10 years, either personally or for your company and its
3: employees, is there anything, actions that you would take? Sure. Um, I think housing affordability and transportation would be the i been mean, speaking for myself and uh, our employees. I would say uh, housing affordability and transportation would be the two biggest issues. The, light, the next light rail station will open here in 2021 20, or so, uh, which is just two blocks from here. Uh, I wish it was open right now, so that way I could actually take it when um, whenever the east, whenever it connects to the east side. And I think I heard recently that about the ST3 package which brings light rail to Ballard in like 22 years. That just is coming from a startup world that feels like worse than like slower paced than even corporate world. <laughs> yeah. Transportation would be the one. Uh, housing or f- affordability, I think gone are the days of new, younger people, people young in their career being able to afford a home within the city. So they are either moving out or continue to rent which kind of affects their lifestyle.
0: And now, how does that affect you to have unaffordable housing? You've got your own house, which is great. Yeah. 17-minute uh, commute, which is great. Yeah. Why is affordable housing something that is personal to you?
3: Over the long term, we expect to have like over 50 to 100 employees. And as a, being a startup, we cannot afford to pay the same high salaries as Facebook and Google. To attract top talent, these days, it, you need to, mostly because of the housing costs. We, we feel like we are missing out on some talent um, because of the, un- yeah, unaffordability.
0: I don't want to take too much more of your time, if you could just give me your thoughts on growth in particular, How do, what are your feelings or attitudes towards the growth that you've seen the last four years?
3: Growth is usually good, which means that the city is actually thriving, but, but the infrastructure has to cope with, with the growth. With, with, with growth comes additional revenue and revenue sources for the city, uh, which needs to be invested back into providing the right level of infra- infrastructure. Um, which I feel has not happened. Either there was no foresight in the, in the, coming, in the boom that happened in the last few years, um, but now it's not, a, it's not too late to start now. Thank you so much, Sunil. Best of luck to this company.
0: Uh, look forward to seeing great things for you. All right. Thanks, Jeff. My final guest on this episode is Vinayak Hegde, Chief Marketing Officer of Groupon and the person who started the Seattle office of the Chicago-based company. I am here at Groupon's beautiful offices with Vinayak Hagday. He is the Senior Vice President of Global Marketing, also uh, known as the, the Chief Marketing Officer here at Groupon. Uh, thank you for your time today. Oh, welcome to Groupon. Yeah, beautiful office. Uh, so as we're in this beautiful office... Uh, I know that you joined, you you brought Groupon out to Seattle in 2012 with 20 to 30 employees. Mm -hmm.
4: Can you walk me through how things have changed since 2012 for Groupon in Seattle? Yeah. So 2012, we started a small outfit uh, in Seattle. Uh, The plan was to have 20 to 30 people focused on what we call computational marketing, you know, building the automation required for marketing. Uh, And we were uh, very happy with the talent that was here. So we started expanding. So more and more. Uh, parts of marketing moved to 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 Seattle. And as more and more marketing moved to Seattle, the other business teams saw a great opportunity to have people here. So um, next, Getaways, which is our travel business, started an office here because there's a lot of people from uh, – there's a lot of travel companies here, like Expedia is here. So we were able to uh, attract talent from um, travel companies, and so we started our uh, product and engineering for travel out of Seattle. Uh, And so um, people in the goods area as well started uh, building product and engineering here. And so we reached the stage where um, a lot of teams that were resistant to have teams here um, saw the talent pool here, and they started putting more and more people here. The the talent here is, you know, very, very good. Um, So our main technology teams are in Seattle and in Palo Alto. Basically, what happened was the tech talent in Seattle was very important to us, and they delivered very well, so we continued to expand. So we moved from a 20 percent office. We took multiple floors down there in, um, in the International District in US 1, and then um, we ran out of space, so we decided to take a much bigger space now. So we're, we have about 300 people now uh, with room to grow up to 400 in this office. And so you've gone from 20 to 30 people now all the way to
0: to 300 people. How did you get how did you even decide to start here at, back
4: in 2012? Uh, so that's a funny story. So I um I worked at Amazon before and um when Groupon was ready to recruit me, I I loved the the concept and I wanted to work for Groupon and the option was to move to Chicago or Palo Alto. Um and my wife got initially interested in Palo Alto. Um but when we went there and spent some time there, she said, I'm not going to move. So I had to tell them I, I can't move. At which point they said, what does it take to join? I said, I can't move. And this said, why are not start an office in Seattle. So that's how we started an office.
0: So the office has started uh, because of one man's love for this city.
4: It's not just that. I think uh, if you if you notice uh, at that point in Seattle, it, not, it was not just one man's love. I definitely love Seattle. Our chief financial officer at that time uh, was had spent a lot of time in Seattle. Our head of product had spent a lot of time in Seattle. Our head of marketing then had spent a lot of time in Seattle. So uh, the company knew that this is a place for great talent. They just needed the one person to kind of say, make it happen. And that's what happened. And, yeah.
0: and did you ever envision that you would experience the kind of growth that you had here? No,
4: no. I mean, it was, you know. After a year and a half I thought it would go there but like initially when we started I did not envision we would would grow this fast. And so what other factors do you merit for growing this fast here in Seattle? I mean the thing that the the thing that about Seattle one there's great technical talent, right? I mean ultimately not only there is great technical talent. I feel uh, people in P- Seattle are more patient in terms of growing the company, right? They they are very patient. They understand the business very well. So, we are happy with, with the kind of people that we are getting here, both in terms of engineers and leaders. So, what is happening is, it's no longer the situation in the company where we're saying, oh, we want to fill this job and we, it has to be in Chicago or Palo Alto, right? It is about, we want to fill this role and we are open to these areas. So, so the, the, the mentality has gone from location to finding the right person. So, we feel uh, that has been a fundamental shift. And we've got great leaders here. I mean, we have very senior leaders sitting in the... I mean, multiple VP's sitting here right now. So we feel very good about it.
0: So are there any other factors that have contributed to the growth of Groupon here in Seattle?
4: I mean, other than getting great talent, um, uh, I mean, we... um, I mean, for us, I mean, it's the same um, time zone as the West Coast. That works very well for us. A lot of senior leaders are from are from Seattle. Even though they sit in Chicago, a lot of them are from Seattle uh, or have worked in Seattle, know the talent here, have the network here, right? The, the network, they worked here before They have though so that has been a big uh, contributing factor for us.
0: And as Groupon has grown in Seattle, how do you feel that that growth has affected the city itself?
4: I mean, definitely. I mean, we, a lot of these people that we are hiring here are not just people from Seattle, not just people from other companies. I see like three kinds of people coming to our office right now. One, people whom we are hiring from other places that are coming here. A lot of people from our international offices are coming here and people from Palo Alto are moving here. I know of a lot of people who moved from Palo Alto to here. So I'm I'm assuming you know that is affecting in terms of traffic. I mean, we are small compared to our large companies here, but definitely how they are living here, they're buying houses, they they are adding to the commute um though we give uh, bus passes to everybody. Um, I mean, it's definitely adding to the economy uh, and also adding to traffic. But definitely, uh, I love the, you know, Groupon being an international company, uh, for a re- office of our size, I think we probably have one of the highest international concentration. I mean, I, you know, when, when the World Cup happens, as an example, I mean, I, I normally go and hang out with the people when there is a game between Spain and some other country, and there's enough people from both countries there, right? So it's kind
0: of fun. Do you have a back-of-the-napkin calculation as to what percentage of the 300 people here were already in Seattle versus how many of them are are moving here? Uh, Probably
4: 50-50.
0: Beyond just adding more people and more of an international flavor to the city, are there any other ways that Groupon is positively contributing to the city by
4: being here? Well, yeah, definitely. I um, I mean, we do a lot of things here. The first big thing we do is we sponsor the Bite of Seattle. I mean, it's a big festival in Seattle. Groupon sponsors the buys of Seattle. We've been doing it for the last few years, um, so that's a big one. We uh, we contribute to a lot of charitable foundations here. We contribute to a lot of charities. We go as a team and contribute uh, twice a year to a bunch of charities in the in the in the region. We help some with the University of Washington. We hire interns. Um, so those are kind of the things that we are doing in terms of helping the community here.
0: As you look into the future, what does the future of Groupon's Seattle office look like? let's say, five years down to the, in the
4: future? You know, looking at the past, it's kind of hard for me to say, um, but uh, I mean, we are growing pretty in, in a pretty dramatic way, specifically in the marketing arena, right? Like we, uh, it's about six months back, we went and told we're gonna to spend significant amounts of money in marketing, almost like hundreds of millions of dollars more than last year so a large part of the marketing organization sits in seattle so you could see a lot more work coming out of the seattle office in terms of how we um you know how how we help the growth of the company um in terms of saying how many more people will be there it's very hard to say i mean it's dependent on you know what kind of leaders we get here because we're building the organization around the leaders we are getting and we get a senior leader working on something I mean, we may hire a lot more people. One of the reasons we came into this building is, is because if we want to expand, I think there are floors available for us. I, I don't know the situation right now, but when we were looking at it, that was one of the reasons we came into this building.
0: As you grow and you see other companies that are also seeking tech talent grow here in Seattle, mm-hmm. how does that affect your
4: thinking? Oh, so that is a very—it's um, a—it's a pretty tough market right now for us, right? Um, the way we we have been able to work on the talent is to say there is two 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 parts to this to so this situation. We are still a very young company. Uh, if you think about it, we are like like seven years old. Uh, a lot of companies would be co- you know quote unquote called startups at that point, right? But we operate you know in twenty plus countries. Uh, in, a, in a fairly massive scale for a company of, the, of, of our size, so what we are able to offer, and, and this is what we tell uh, our uh, you know prospective candidates who come to this company to interview, and it is true, is there is still a lot to be built. In a lot of companies, the core infrastructure is built. A lot of stuff that is being built is things on the periphery, or you know, you know, kind of nice to have features, or or tweaking around, optimizing stuff. Here, there is a lot of stuff yet to be built, so they can do that and second but they are doing it at a fairly massive scale so the the kind of the mix between impact of what you do to the kind of core stuff to do uh, i think we are at a very sweet spot and and when we actually talk to engineers and explain to them the detail i feel that is where we we are able to differentiate ourselves but you know it's 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 tough out there there is a lot of companies here seeking the same kind of talent we are we are seeking walk me through what is
0: your impression of the talent here what has created this talent and, and why is the talent pool so big
4: i mean first of all i mean there are a lot of tech companies which are uh you know massive you know tech giants here right microsoft and amazon and you know initially it was boeing but then there's Expedia. Um, uh, there is a lot of successful ipos here in zillow tableau uh, a lot of companies um and um, so the talent pool has, has has been created. There is a fairly good startup ecosystem as well in Seattle, and also in terms of cloud computing and stuff like that. Like Seattle is kind of the the hub of cloud computing. A lot of software is written being written on on the cloud right now. So the, that ecosystem is is kind of in the right place for us to hire. For us in particular, on top of that, I feel. Uh, the, the people who work in what I call, quote-unquote, electronic commerce, right, like in, in the business of selling stuff, Seattle has a lot of big companies. there, are Amazon and Expedia and all. And it requires a particular DNA of not just writing software but having that customer focus and business understanding. And we find that to be very attractive in Seattle. That is where I think Seattle engineers differentiate themselves. Like they, they have the technical know-how, but they're very uh, interested in knowing the impact of the stuff that they're building. And, and for us, that has been very attractive. As
0: you look ahead and you see that not only are you contributing to the growth here in Seattle, but you're seeing many companies contribute to this growth in Seattle, bringing lots of people and money into the city. What challenges does that create for you and for Groupon?
4: I mean, particularly it, it creates a recruitment and, the, and a retention challenge, right? Because, I mean, that is, one, that is also one of the reasons we started growing here. Is if you don't grow, as people spend a few years here, they are looking for different opportunities, different areas to work on. They want to, you know, they want to grow as a their career. And if you have a very small office, it's really hard for you to kind of give that opportunity. So, um, so it is a challenge internally, but in terms of external companies coming, that is definitely a challenge for us. Um, I would say that is kind of the number one challenge on top of, you know, being able to recruit talent and making sure they can they can afford a living here and, you know, have a decent house and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, when especially when we're recruiting people from outside, but internally recruitment and retention would be the number one challenge in terms of people. Um, second would be, I mean, it, it's a, it's a simple, interesting challenge, which just real estate, like, I know, as we grow the way uh, commercial real estate is being purchased in Seattle, we want to be in a situation that we can, we can get an office in the same building or the next floor or, you know i you know i I spend a lot of time in Amazon, and I know how we used to kind of commute between offices. that would be a challenge
0: and so if you had to summarize kind of briefly the three aspects of Seattle's growth that create the biggest challenges for
4: you, yeah, what would those three be? One would be recruitment um, second would be retention, and third would be convincing people of the cost of living here, okay. Yeah.
0: And so have you seen the cost of living affect your ability to get employees already?
4: Uh, not not really. For us, we've been okay. Um, but you never know. I mean I know of challenges in California when you when you recruit people in um, in five years from now if you project you, you ask the question for five years, you see what the real estate uh, situation is here right so you can you can project it and I may be wrong in my third assumption. The first one and two I'm pretty sure. Will still stand, right? The, the recruitment and retention,
0: and the recruitment and retention. Diving deeper into those, the biggest concern is that there's other companies who want the same talent. Yes. Okay. No. Not only do
4: other companies who want the same talent, you know, people here leave and go. And we, in my opinion, we have, you know, we have recruited great people. And when they see the taste of people from a company who are incredibly good, I mean, they're going to come after us. So that challenge, uh, you know, if you get a reputation as a company which has hired and build great talent uh, companies will zero down on you so and,
0: and then also as we look to the future how do you see Seattle and groupon working together
4: in in any way as the both are growing the other thing we've been doing as we grow is you know we are doing stuff like we, we do a program called geek Fest here. year uh, we get external tech rec- tech leaders to come and talk. Uh, We invite external people also to that. So we are contributing in terms of, you know, helping people, you know, learn more about technology and stuff like that. For us, we do it because it's a great recruiting tool for us, but it is contributing to people to come and provide them food and, and, you know, accommodation for you to come and listen to the talk. But the main thing is help the local community grow. I mean, we really believe that if we can help local communities grow, uh, you know, um, the the, the neighborhood and the community and the city will grow. I mean, you walk into a lot of new restaurants or sports, pause. And there is so much opportunity to drive more business to them.
0: As you look at acquisition and retention of of talent, are there any other facets
4: of Seattle's growth that has made that easier for you? Uh, We've also found one of the things that happens is, you know, because, um, you know, we are fairly distributed, people travel around a lot. So, you know, people from Palo Alto or Chicago who come here, see the city and they just fall in love with the city. And they are uh, like, I'd love to work here, right? I mean, that's another thing. And and for senior people, I don't hide the fact from people from California that there's no state income tax. Like I actually, when I'm trying to recruit, I actually openly tell that to people, right? I mean, um, so people come here and they love the culture of the city. And I know of a lot of people who come here and said, I'm just going to move here. Um, it's so much nicer. Seattle has this. I mean, that's probably why I didn't move out. It, once you're here, it's hard to move out. So people come here and spend a few days working and then, hmm, I'm going to move here. So I have people who moved from Dublin, people who moved from Germany, from Chile, from Spain. And it's fascinating.
0: As you look into the future and you want to continue acquiring and retaining talent, is there anything that you believe the city government can do or should do to help make it easier for companies
4: like Groupon to continue to grow here? I mean, it's a hard question. Um, one 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 thing I I do get concerned about is is just transportation. Um, I just feel like you know because we are an international kind of company with multiple offices. I mean, I get to travel to a lot of big international cities, and I see public transportation in these cities, and I see Seattle um, getting stuck on I ninety every day. And I do wonder, um, I mean, we will be left behind if you want to be a great city um in terms of you know public public transportation uh, that's that's one area that I'm really concerned about.
0: Are there any other concluding thoughts as to how Seattle's growth and Groupon's growth affect each other? And how that Seattle's
4: groupon office is is going to be a central part of our growth strategy. like if you go and look at our um in you know investor materials for the last two quarters, we've been talking about how we are significantly investing more in marketing to grow customers because we can clearly see when customers grow or business grows. So that is going to be the direct contribution of how Seattle office's growth is going to contribute to, uh, to Groupon.
0: And I thank you so much for your time and your insight. Really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and hear the story about Groupon's growth here. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. You have now heard from three leaders in Seattle's tech scene about why they believe Seattle is experiencing rapid growth. They also highlight how infrastructure, transportation, and housing affordability are key challenges that growth brings to businesses. How do their concerns map to yours? Have your voice be heard. Share your thoughts on this episode using hashtag Seattle Tech. In my next episode, I will explore how Seattle's growth affects the affordability of buying a home. My guests include Rob Wasser, owner and designated broker of Prospera Real Estate and member of the Northwest MLS Board of Directors.
2: So February's median selling price jumped to 625 in Seattle from 585 in January. And then looking back, going back to let's say January 2015, it was at 500,000. Going back to January 2014, it was at 435. So things have changed dramatically and quickly.
0: I'll also sit down with Brad Everett, a mortgage broker at. Caliber Home Loans with over 20 years of experience. You got to act fast. You got to, I mean, you have to be prepared. Certainly, nearly every offer, you know, when a house goes up, there's there's five, six, ten, you know, other people ready to ready to buy. In the meantime, please take a moment to rate this podcast in iTunes and subscribe if you haven't already. You could also head to www.seattlegrowthpodcast.com for more updates and follow me on Twitter, at Prof. Schulman.